You can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 25. I ask you to continue in prayer this evening. And the message from the Word of God tonight, if He will orchestrate it, uh, is an exhortation to you to leave it all on the floor in the service of the Lord. And Brother Reggie, that's going to be too long for a title on Sermon Audio, so you can shorten it to leaving it all on the floor. So Matthew 25, the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching on the nature of the kingdom of heaven. And this will be our starting point. And there's a two or three texts that I desire the Lord would help me weave together. So let's begin in verse 14, Matthew 25 and verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them His goods. This is a parable of the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom of heaven, the Lord is the master. And you are the servants. So note here uh, that you are His servants. He calls His own servants. And He delivers unto them His Goods. That's a very important point for what's about to follow. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. These talents are in this historical uh, lesson are are uh, coins money of some kind. The lesson, however, is in the kingdom of heaven. Um, maybe, maybe he's using wordplay, although English wasn't around back then, so I don't know. But, uh, convenient for us, your talents, as we think about it, your gifts, your resources, your abilities, your... Um, What you have and possess is what the Master has already given you. And He gives, He dispenses out sovereignly as the Master according to His own wisdom to you and to you and to you in different amounts, different kinds, and each of us uh, have our own Sovereignly dispensed resources given by our Lord. So He gives them in perfect wisdom He has given them. Who would get five? Who would get two? Who would get one? And then He goes on His journey. Then He that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, He that had received two he also gained other two. 
But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. He got out the ledger and he reckoned uh, and made the account of what he had given and what they returned and, and, and considered the difference and worked out all the math. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents, and behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. In any ordinary circumstance, just as in this scene, if you double uh, your resource, that is absolutely fantastic. You're probably going to get a promotion. Actually, if you don't get a promotion, you should get a different job. <laughs> you have a very poor master. <clears throat> if you doubled in profit what you had been given. So this servant is excited. Behold, look, Master, what I have done for you. I'm excited to report back that I have now given you back ten talents from the five that you gave me. The Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You know, this master could have said, all right, that's pretty good for a day's work. See you tomorrow. There's so much more here in this interaction. The master is pleased not with the prophet. That's not the source of his his delight here. His delight is in the faithful service of his servant towards him. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so this servant had received five talents and he faithfully labored to bear fruit from what he had been given. And he returned ten. He doubled what he had been given back in service to the Lord. So, five plus five equals ten. But if that's the math, if that's all the math that's going on here, you've missed the message. Look what happens next. The Lord said, You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. So now you will be a master. I will make you a master over more of my, do- of my kingdom, more of my domain. 
What has the Lord just done? He has gone way beyond uh, using His servant to get from five to ten. In fact, He has produced so much fruit and bounty out of this situation that is far beyond what this servant could have imagined or personally accomplished himself. Do you think, does it sound like the Lord really needed those five extra talents? I don't think so. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. It wasn't about the promotion. It wasn't about the money. This Lord, let's just get to the greater lesson, your Lord is delighted to receive your service because when you faithfully serve Him and He responds with, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, the reward, the bounty that comes into the picture, that He brings into the picture, is so far beyond, I don't have five anymore, I have ten. It's the joy of the Lord. He says, enter into the joy of thy Lord. And so we have a servant here who's not just, uh, you know, go watch the Christmas carol and what's the guy's name that worked for Scrooge? Thank you. It's not uh, Bob Cratchit at the beginning situation. And he's got, he's went from five plus five equals ten and there's no uh, warmth. Uh, it was cold, but there was no warmth in that relationship. There was no love in that relationship. There was no joy. There was no caring. It was, Scrooge was, show me the prophet, get out the door, I'll see you tomorrow, and you better not be late. By the end of that story, it's a far different picture, isn't it? This isn't about the money anymore. Well, it's super abundantly beyond even that wonderful picture because the Lord, your Lord and Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is telling you that when you faithfully seek Him and labor in His service, the joy that comes, that is a fruit of this labor, is it blows out of the water the dollars and the cents. It blows out of the water the, the arithmetic of the equation. Well, let's keep going here and we'll uh, learn a few more lessons. The man with two talents came and it was the same story with two talents. This illustrates to you that the Lord was not less pleased because He only produced four total. He only produced two extra instead of the five extra. 
half as much, less than half as much, he came back with than the first man. What does he say to the man with two that brought back four? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there is there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. See, if we just are thinking about the kingdom of God and our service to Him, and this story with straight up uh, humanistic math, we fall, we don't get the whole truth of the lesson. One plus one might add up to two, but that's not the truth of the matter. The Lord was not pleased with the one who hid because of fear and didn't give himself out for the Lord in His service. And I've found this... uh, So what He does is He takes the resource and He redispenses it to someone who will labor faithfully with that service, with that uh, resource. I find this happening uh, a lot lately. I've noticed this about myself. You know, when I want the kids to... Uh, have the kids, uh, you know, chores, uh, duties. Or we're getting ready for this trip. Lots of things to be taken care of. I start assigning duties. And I found myself tending to call back someone. <laughs> and it wasn't because they needed more teaching and they weren't getting the, the discipline of it. It was because they were doing a good job. And so I gave them more labor because I knew they would be faithful in it. In a way, that doesn't sound right, does it? It sounds out of balance. But that's exactly what the Lord is doing, and He's right to do so. He says, My goods are precious. They're valuable. And I will have them used and labored and nurtured to bring forth fruit. So, don't worry about, don't be concerned in, in practical you know, daily life, oh, I don't have very many talents. Don't be concerned about that. What the Lord wants is with what He has given you, are you faithful in it? And here's the, here's the point, is that the Lord's ability, His math, 
is, is, is on the exponential frame. Pardon those people that are actually good at math. It's not 1 plus 1 equals 2. Because the Lord can take, does take what you're doing with or without you. Because He'll find somebody else. You know, in this message, that's what He's doing. And He will bring so much more to bear than you possibly could have done by yourself. And that's what He's doing here. He's going to make this man ruler, which this man had uh, no capacity to to uh, achieve himself and become ruler over many things and then bear much, much more fruit. And that was an exponential jump. More than 5 plus 5 equals 10. So what is going on here? And by the way, the end of this one who out of, out of uh, fear and cowardice wasn't willing to extend himself in the service, he did not have a good end. He was cast out of the service of the Lord. So, there is, there is a truth here that the servant can't see. He can't see what goes beyond ten. He can't see what kind of fruit and bounty the Lord may bring to bear through His efforts. But he believes... We ought to believe the power and ability and willingness of the Master to use us in His service and accomplish His ends. And the Master delights for you to enter into His joy. He's looking for that, into His joy, because you have pleased him with faithful service. Now, so that's a strange, that's a strange, um, or maybe a, an un, it's an unhumanistic plane, right? It's a spiritual plane for a spiritual kingdom. It defies just simple uh, human reasoning. And so I want to read to you a verse in Hebrews 11, which I have been considering all week with delight and also puzzlement. And it wasn't until today that maybe the Lord helped me see some clarity with this, pass- with this verse. And I think it helps explain this relationship that we see in Matthew 26 from the Lord's mouth. So uh, Hebrews chapter 11 begins, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then most of this chapter is uh, recounting the Lord's people who who have exhibited this faith that God gave them, living out this reality that faith is the substance of things hoped for, not yet fully received, and it is the evidence uh, of what cannot be seen. Well, we get to verse 6.
without faith. He referenced this this morning. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. You mean I can't just go take five talents and get and double it and bring back ten and show him the math and he'll be pleased? No, not if he was doing it in sin, not if the plowing of the wicked is sin. Five plus five isn't a, a good ten for the master. It's worth nothing to him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. This is not a... a a comprehensive theological dissertation on faith, this statement, this qualifier, it is a commentary on the nature of faith. So without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Why? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Well, it's impossible to please God without faith because this is, this is what God requires. And faith is the vehicle for this. This is the gift from God by which we may do this which pleases God. He that cometh to God must believe that He is. Well, James 1 tells us uh, that... Maybe I'll just read it. It's just right there, a few pages down, instead of paraphrasing it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So this is a, he delights to give to you. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Maybe a way we could say that rephrase that is God is not pleased with simply putting in your prayer coin and getting out a prayer or turning the prayer wheel and hoping it lands on the right one. That's not what this looks like. What he is requiring to be pleased to liberally pour His wisdom upon you of His abundant... And, and later in James, it, it uh, describes how He is the giver of all good. He is the source of all good. And He gives it abundantly to us. 
But what he is looking for is that you, with a a single-mindedness of heart, seek him for wisdom. That is the unwavering. You're not double-minded. So, I'm needing wisdom. I know God is, is number one. I'm going to seek His face. But I do have a plan to, if I don't hear back from Him in a reasonable amount of time, or He doesn't give me the answer I like, I'll find wisdom somewhere else. That's double-minded. And God is not pleased with double-mindedness. It is impossible to please God, but by faith. And faith is single-mindedly on Christ. And so, in service to Christ, we're single-mindedly with all that we have committed to being a faithful and obedient servant. We're not double-minded in our uh, affections. We're not double-minded in our treasures. Not treasures upon earth, but treasures upon heaven. You cannot serve God and mammon single-mindedness. So, Hebrews 11, in this uh, description, is describing the nature of faith, and the nature of faith is that... We believe God wholeheartedly. We believe who He says He is. We believe what He has said He will do. We believe God. But there's a second part. He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So again, this is not a theological dissertation on faith. It's not the goal is I go for God, I seek after God because I know that He'll reward me whereas other people won't. That's not what he's teaching. What he's teaching us is that the posture of faith in Christ is that I am so so uh, completely believing God that He is worth diligently seeking. His promises are true. I would be foolish to not 100% full throttle, give all, sell out, leave all on the floor to diligently seek Him because He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And we just saw that the Lord is pleased when we diligently seek Him. And the reward is beyond our beyond what we can fathom. We can't, in other words, we can't sell short the Lord. 
I fear that when we aren't seeking Him in faith, this is exactly what we do. When we aren't seeking Him with a single-mindedness in faith, we are shorting, in our estimation, the value of the Lord. We're shorting in estimation His power to do what Ephesians, what Paul writes in Ephesians, to do abundantly, sorry, exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even think, according to His riches in Christ Jesus, in glory. That's a God that's not dealing with the lowly math of 2 plus 2 equals 4. Where's my two extra talents? He's blowing it out of the water, brothers and sisters. And so whatever we're giving back to Him of what He's already given, He's not, he's not uh, hoping He gets a, a few extra talents from you. He's abundantly above all that we could ask or even think. And this is what He will do with your service in His kingdom. So, then last question that needs to be answered. So, is it worth it? Is it worth putting it all out on the floor? Is it worth selling out in service to Christ? Luke chapter 14. We know that that's what Jesus Christ has told us to do, but is He, is he pulling the wool over our eyes? Has He sold us a bill of goods? Um, is it really worth it? Luke fourteen twenty five, And there were great multitudes with Him, and He turned and said unto them, If any man come to Me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That is an extreme bar. Jesus, I don't know of any clubs or social groups that uh, have that level of, of uh, requirement for admittance. <clears throat> except the ego club. And Jesus has an appropriately large self-image because He is the righteous one. And so He can require that. And whosoever doth not bear His cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had to go to Lowe's 15 times in the middle of a project? Because you weren't sufficiently 
You had not sufficiently planned. Might not have totally been your fault, but the bottom line is you hadn't sufficiently planned. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and desireth conditions of peace. So the good planner, the, the, the one who is considering a commitment Wisdom says, consider the cost. Count the cost. Know what you're committing to. That's crucial in marriage. You can't know everything that's going to happen, but you have counted the, You better have counted the cost. When you're going to build a house, you better have counted the cost and then add in, I hear these days, 50% of unexpected cost. You better count the cost. You don't want a halfway finished house and be the laughing stock of the community. Whew. Jesus says, uh, follow me. Follow me. But you cannot follow me without counting the cost. And what is the cost? So likewise, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Well, it's amazing that Jesus has any disciples. Indeed it is. It's amazing grace. Jesus requires for me to follow Him I must not just be you know, willing to forsake my mother and father and parents and give up everything. That's true, but it's it's more it's it is as it has already happened. Abraham, in his faithfulness to follow God's order, had slain Isaac. The, the scriptural terminology uh, alludes to that he had slain him. He had given him up to God. Did Isaac uh, draw his last breath in, in real life? He did not. But Abraham was faithful. He had given him up to God. He had. And Jesus says, you cannot follow me, but you must. And you must give it all up. Nothing can stand in the way of being a faithful and obedient servant. If it stands in the way, you're not being a faithful and obedient servant. So count the cost. Okay, count the cost. I'll count the cost. Is it worth paying? One more passage. We'll answer that and we'll close the book. Is it worth that extreme cost? You're not going to have anything left. Nothing. Of your own. You will have the Lord. And Psalm 16.11, this is not my text. Psalm 16.11 says that in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, the Lord is not against pleasure. 
Alright? But you're going to have to give up all self-initiated... There might be a better way to describe that. I don't know what it is. Self-originating pleasure to get the pleasure of the Lord. And it is far going to exceed whatever it was you were possibly pursuing for pleasure and joy and happiness and rest and whatever else you are pursuing that's keeping you from being single-minded single-minded in your pursuit of the Lord. See, the Lord made you to be a man and woman of pleasure. The Trinity is full of pleasure within itself. And you get to be a partaker of that pleasure. And so it's not, oh, I don't want that. That's a, uh, that God pleasure, I don't know what that is. I like the pleasure that I experience when I'm doing the things I enjoy doing out here. It's like, Getting and we do this sometimes. It's like uh, eating some cotton candy and ruining the perfectly cooked ribeye steak and giving that up. Much worse than that. The pleasure of the Lord forevermore, ever more. So I'm going to say this. It might sound uncomfortable. But it's the Bible truth, and you need to know it. You're going to be in an eternal state of pleasure with the Lord Jesus Christ. Unimaginable delight. And whatever kind of pleasures we are pursuing that pulled us away from Him, it will be incomparable. So now let's answer the question. Luke 14. Sorry, that's where we were. Luke 13. Luke 13. Is it worth paying the price to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, including pleasure, things we think we have to give up, shall be added unto you. Verse 44. Well, there is no 44 in Luke 13. That's interesting. Alright. I'm going for the pearl of great price. Matthew. Matthew 13? Thank you. Very good. Alright. Matthew 13. 44. Jesus describing the nature, the character of the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which, when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth to buy it and discovers. So, this is not his field. He was probably trespassing. He discovered a, a treasure. 
he says, I'm going to buy this field. I'm going to go find the owner. I'm going to make him an offer he hopefully can't refuse. And then I'll own the treasure. I'm not just going to offer to buy the treasure because then he would know about it. But he finds out he's going to have to sell everything. Maybe, I mean, you know, even the clothes on his back. Is it that great of a treasure? Is it worth it? So he's counted the cost. For joy, therefore, he goeth and selleth all that he hath and buys the field for the treasure. Was that bad math on his part? It was a great trade. He sold all that he had and he got... Uh, let's let's uh, make the application. You sell all that you have and you get all that God has. Amen. Good trade? Yeah. Now we're talking about your posture in service to the Lord. That's what we're talking about. Unless you think I turned our men in or something. One more. 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly perils. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, the greatest of them all, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ pressing into the kingdom of heaven, enjoying His pleasures forevermore, entering into the joy of thy Lord, is worth the cost. And He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him by selling out. That's the end. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You would grant us this faith and to see that You are the pearl of great price, that You are worth our all, and indeed that You have led us by example in this and given Yourself for what You incredibly considered a great treasure, which is Your people. And I pray that You would bless us to return to you in full that which you have given to us. In Christ's name, amen.